Welcome to episode 19. Today's guest features a grade 5 dropout former gang member, Golden Glove champion, Canadian Boxing Hall of Fame member, former 590 and 1010 radio host, the one, the only, Spider Jones. Wait for it. Live from Pacific Junction Hotel, Girth Radio in session. Did you did you grow up in Detroit or or Windsor was it? Well, uh, I, or both. We're on air now. We're on. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I, I was born in Windsor. Okay. And uh, spent growing up in Windsor and a lot of time also in Detroit. I have a lot of family from uh, the Detroit area. Yeah. And so I spent uh, a lot of fascinating years in Detroit, especially back in the day when Motown was just evolving and. Smokey Robinson, The Temptations, uh, Stevie Wonder, The Four Tops, all the oh my great Motown stuff. Aretha Franklin uh, was just coming into her, her own then. Marvin Gaye, uh, Martha and the Vandellos. So it was uh, guys like Edwin Starr and all these great uh, it's like classic singers. Uh, yeah, Motown was the thing back then. And um, it was a very thriving city back then. It was nothing the, like today. It was Motown. No, nothing like today, unfortunately. Uh, that's kind of sad. Uh, I was there a couple weeks back, and it just breaks your heart to go through the areas that I uh, bought my first pair of shoes in, my first suit in over on 12th Street, uh, which is now uh, uh, in the past, long gone. And uh, so it, brings back, it brought back a lot of mer- memories, and very painful to see. Hmm what Detroit is going through. Yeah, I can understand. Uh, I, I know one of, when, when I first heard you on the radio, I'm a huge Fan 590 listener, and uh, I, re- I even remember the day when they switched from 1430 to 590, and, and you were wow. one of the staples in late night I, radio on the fan. Yeah, I came there about a year after they had uh, uh, made that tran- uh, that transition, and... Uh, Let's see. Yeah, I was working at CHWO. That's where I got my start, and that was basically where, where is he at? that was in Oakville. It was a small station, but it was a where I my my whole theme was uh, uh, classic R and B and blue eyed soul. And then I I uh, made a couple of appearances on the fan as a boxing commentator, and uh, got a call one day from Bob Makowitz. Yeah, who, yeah. Who classic was, name in the in Yeah, the absolutely. He was the uh, program director over there, and he called me, and he said, I heard you on the air a few times. I think we should, we need we need a voice, a new, a fresh voice here. <clears throat> Excuse me, in his own terms, he said, I think we're too white bread. <laughs> and so I jumped on at the opportunity to start out doing a Sunday afternoon program, and... Uh, it became very popular because I was just a guy that had fun. I was just a fan <clears throat> who loved hockey and baseball and boxing. And and I used to have a, a, this routine. He loved it. Every time a new caller came on, he'd say, Spider, first-time caller. We'd say, double-shot power, double-shot power. 
And these guys <laughs> went nuts over it. So then he started giving me Saturday and Sundays, and then uh, the all-night show became available as they went coast-to-coast coast on the WIC uh, radio network. And uh, I came in, and uh, my first producer was a guy named Bob, uh, I, I should say Todd Hayes. Yeah, yeah. Great producer. He ended up going over to um, uh, TSN and became the executive producer of Off the Record for Michael Landsberg. Oh, my goodness. So then I needed someone, and I thought, you know, how about my, my, my operator, Georgie Strombolopoulos? He had just come <laughs> back from Vancouver and a graduate of Humber College, and George and I always had a great rapport, so we started to work together, and uh, it just, the, the program just flew, and I was there for about eight years really and had a, a wonderful yeah. time. Yeah, that's a, now let's let's go a little bit before radio, um, and and the first I had heard of it heard of it was, again was when you were on the radio talking about some of your past and your history, and one of the things you don't shy away from is that you got in trouble with gangs, you dropped out of school, and, and you even I believe spent some time in jail, right? Uh, you're correct on all points. We didn't call them gangs, so we called no. them crews. Crews. Uh, if I I called it my crew back then, mom and dad. Uh, they would burst the gangs. They would. My mother would have whacked me to death. <laughs> she was little, about five foot uh, one, little old lady from North Carolina. Her background, but she whacked me. So we called ourselves crews. And yes, I I, I got involved with uh, a crew of guys, and we used to pull off jobs on both sides of the border back then, because crossing the border back then was very simple. Mm-hmm. You just changed the style. Like when I was when I was in Windsor, I was just uh, you know, hey, how you doing? When I went to Detroit, hey, man, what's up, you know, and, uh, and, and, and yeah, I live in Detroit. Where do you live in Detroit? I, oh, I live at one, one, 133 Grand River Boulevard, you know, so they, they didn't know the difference. Yeah. So I'd go through. You didn't even use a passport back then. Oh, my goodness. You know, things were different. Yeah. Now, like, how does, I don't know, maybe I grew up sheltered, but I did grow up in Scarborough, still live there. But how does one get involved in a crew? Like, what's... You know, I, I mean, you, you don't grow up wanting to be in one, maybe, or maybe you well, do. Yeah, you do sometimes. And listen, it was a natural uh, transition for me. I, I grew up uh, in our area. There were uh, all the people that had money were hustlers. They were street players, pimps, uh, uh, gamblers, rounders, uh, 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 loan sharks. They the guys had all the money and the gamblers. So that's what we wanted. They drove the big cars, had the mm. sharp clothes. You know, they had it all together, and that's what I wanted. Yeah. And, and and it's not easy. It's not that difficult to be lured into that. I, I I mean, you know, we were kids, and we were fascinated by by the big cars they drove and all the money they had and the beautiful women around them. That whole lifestyle, and, and freedom. Yeah. And uh, it wasn't very long before I got lured in with some older guys, and we were pulling off jobs, breaking into homes and 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 cars, and then it. <clears throat> We, we we stepped it up a bit and got into the uh, breaking into warehouses and we became the main suppliers in Detroit for for you want a you want a, a certain pair of shoes or a leather coat or a watch or you put it in order we find it for you liquor cigarettes everything and we we started to hook up with with uh, one of the biggest shakers and movers in that area and before you knew it we were planning jobs and you know so it was just uh it's very easy for young people to get caught up in in the glitter, but all that glitters isn't gold. No, no. What what flipped the switch for you? Like what said I I got to stop this? I, you know, what, was there a, was there an event? Was it uh, you know you looking at your mom and making her cry? Like what was it for you? 
Well, I always had a sort of a conflict in the head. I knew it was wrong. My mother, my father was a pastor. Wow. We were very poor. We had we we were we were poor. I mean, we had a, a two bedroom, very very small bungalow with eleven to twelve people living in it, and five of us slept in one bed. Hmm. So you know, it was uh, it was crazy, and uh, uh, we we uh, I had this conflict. I knew I was doing wrong, but it's pretty tough to give up a lifestyle. And you're young. You you you're you're not mature. You can't see the the bad things ahead. And I was 15. I was carrying a gun hmm. and a straight razor. So were the other guys. Uh, I got busted when I was 15, juvie, reform school at 18, uh, reform school again at 23. I got out at 25, and um, wow. I met George Chevello around that time. Uh, oh. He w- he was working out in Detroit at uh, uh, the Motor City gym. And his trainer, Teddy McWhorter, was a friend of my father's. And so he said, if you ever want to, you know, turn it around, come to Toronto. See, there was no epiphany for me. It wasn't one thing that happened. But, uh, you know, I I thought it over for a while. And uh, like was George Chevalo at that time, was he a big deal? uh, He was he was a top 10 contender. Yeah. And he hadn't fought uh, Muhammad Ali yet. Mm -hmm. He would fight him. Uh, he would fight him actually in 1966. I met George in 1963, 64. Wow! In that area, and we became good friends. George, uh, George, uh, really took to Detroit, and he was the only white dude for for miles around. But he he loved he loved R and B music, yeah. loved Marvin Gaye and Smokey and all them, and he could he loved soul food. So we became buddies. This is what this was something that we both shared. And uh, so when I came to Toronto, he, he set me up with a, with a place. I came to Toronto and got in a little trouble. Ended up going to Millbrook Reformatory. Hmm. And uh, when I got out of there, I, I think it was the first time I ever said to myself, I ain't going to do this no more. Yeah. This is not cool. I'm, I'm going to spend the rest of my life looking around. And I've seen the hustlers and the pimps and, 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 and the street guys. And they were aging. They aged quickly. It was a fast life. And somebody was always out there. There was always pending danger. Uh, from the police, from other hustlers and gang banging, they became quite a thing in Detroit back then. You had, uh, I mean, the homicide rate was was through the roof. We're talking 700, 800 murders a year. Wow. So I uh, pretty much didn't didn't want that kind of life anymore. Yeah. And then you got into boxing. Was, well, that, sort of your, was that your outlet? Boxing was. So, I was fascinated with boxing. I wanted to be. I wanted to be the baddest cat on the street, because I got in a couple of fights and I found out that when I won the fights, yeah. the whole neighborhood started to show me respect. I thought it was love, but it was <laughs> it was fear, fear or it was respect. Yeah. And I decided then and there that I was going to be the best I could. And I'm very blessed. I never had a problem with 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 booze or drugs. Yeah. I, I ran with the crowd and I partied, but I never drank. Or, or, or mess with drugs. And I would be in the gym every day training and training and doing push-ups and working and learning all the street fighting techniques, too. I, I, I got into commando training, defendo, and I learned how to use the elbows, the head, every part of my body, and, and, and got good at what I was doing. So, uh, you know, and when I come to Toronto, I started boxing, got a Sully's gym, and that's where I met Muhammad Ali. In 1966. That's here in Toronto. He came here to fight George Chevallo, uh May 
1966, and he trained at Sully's Gym, as I did, and we sort of hit it off right away. He's an extremely uh, friendly and, 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 and uh, generous uh, and compassionate person. Wow. And, and so uh, Even back then, eh? He was always like that. That's just yeah. his style. He, he just had this way about him. People loved him. Not so much back then. Remember, the United States was in a war back then That's in right. Vietnam, and there were a lot of people on the right yep. that did not like him. They thought that he was a draft dodger. I mean, he's no different than Dick Cheney, who never went to war. He's no different than Donald Trump. These guys deferred the draft. He's no different than... Clinton and anyone else, but they hated him back then because he had the courage to stand up to the United States uh, military and government and say, I'm not going to Vietnam, and he didn't go. But people learned after to love him because of his, not just because of his fighting prowess and because he was an exciting fighter, mm-hmm. and, and, but because of his, his courage, determination, and his convictions. He decided he wasn't going to go, and you're going to put me in jail. But I'm not going over there to fight and kill people that did nothing to me. When in my own my own country, I still have to walk in the back door of restaurants and sit at the back of buses. Wow! So I admired him for that, and um, we became friends. And when he heard, when he learned that I was living in the gym, he invited me to stay with him at the Seaway Towers here, and we became very good friends. And he had a he had this. Like me, he was a, he was a, uh, a, a, a he just loved music. <laughs> uh, he was a, 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 a connoisseur of R and B. His favorite singer being uh, Sam Cooke, but his favorite song was "Stand by Me" by Benny King. Wow! And I'm a, you know I sang all my life. My, my whole family are singers, and I used to sing it. And he he would talk to me and say, "Man, you should be this. You should be that." Then one day I told him about the history of Benny King, about the history of Sam Sam. Uh, uh, Cook, who had been with the Soul Stirs and started out in gospel and, and all this stuff. And he was fascinated. He said, man, you should be in radio. You <laughs> should be in radio. That's your life, he man. He predicted your future. Yeah, well, he was pretty good at predicting. And he said, the next time I come to Toronto, if you ain't on the air, I'm going to come up here and whoop you all over. <laughs> and he was great. And yeah. I, I, we became friends. And um, he was a wonderful man. But he had, a, he had an impact on me because I watched the way he treated people. And he was generous, and he was friendly, and he never shooed the crowd away, and he would never stop. If you wanted an autograph, he always said yes. He'd shake your hand and joke around with you, things that people remember the rest of their lives. Yeah. Would you say that you've modeled some of your personality and, and some of the things that you do after what you saw him? Well, I think we all are influenced by people that, yeah, for sure. that we admire, but... Uh, I was always outgoing. I like people. Yeah. I like people. I like to know about people. I like to know. Uh, uh, that's why I got into radio, too. I love interviewing people, but I love to, I love to know people. Mm-hmm. And I'm interested in their culture, their, fos- their philosophies. You know, I, these things interest me. What makes them tick? That kind of stuff. Yeah. I, I read somewhere that you also, and I don't know if it was for this George Chavala fight, the first one. You fought him twice, right? He fought him. I, I, uh, yeah, he fought him twice. He fought him in '66, and then he fought him again in '72 in Vancouver. This particular fight, I had the his first fight in '66. Yeah. I had the opportunity to spar with Muhammad yeah, Ali a couple of times. About, yeah. How, <laughs> how how was that? Did he sort, you know, did he did he fight back or was he sort of just? I, I, it's a funny thing. I, yeah. I've been hitting on a bag one afternoon, 
and Angelo Dundee, his trainer, the legendary Angelo My Dundee, uh, said, hey, kid, champ wants to work with you. I know he was talking. He said, hey, kid, the gym was full of people, including press. I mean, everybody was there for this fight. Everybody was there from they had uh, uh, media from every major outlet in the United States was there. And so um, he calls me again. I go in the ring. Didn't want to, but they yeah. call you out. You got to go. Boxing's a small, a small world, and and you don't want the word to get out. Hey, Spider Jones chickened out. <laughs> so I get in the ring with this guy who was three inches taller than me, about twenty pounds heavier. I, right then, I was the Canadian uh, 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 senior, <coughs> excuse me, senior Golden Glove uh, uh, champion. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't in his league, nowhere near it. One of my buddies had been sparring with him, Travis uh, Snugden who was a heavyweight, and he worked out of Sully's gym, too. I got in the ring expecting to make me be made a fool of, and he says to me, I want you to bang on me, hit on me. He said, I'm just going to block. So we went three rounds that day, and he and all he did was bang, and boom, 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 and he's just holding on the ropes, and even doing the rope-a-dope back then. This was years before he fought Foreman. Yeah. And so we got finished the three rounds, and the crowd clapped. They thought I was really showing, doing something. They were actually convinced. So I worked with him three or four more times, and I got to tell you, it was a thrill. It's something I can say. Hey, Muhammad, Muhammad Ali and I sparred. But wow. um, I'll tell you one thing I noticed about him more than anything. He was so fast. One time he threw a jab at me, and he had red gloves on. It was like a red flash coming at me, and he stopped a fraction of an inch from my head. Hmm. And he, you know, Angelo Dundee used to say, Muhammad Ali is the most easygoing sparring partner this guy never, probably never won a round sparring, and he didn't care. It didn't matter. He was one like Joe Frazier, yeah. George Chevello. I worked with George Chevello. It was frightening. He's so, he's so uh, powerful, so strong. <coughs> Is it true that Chevello was the only man never to get knocked down by Muhammad uh, Ali, or, or uh, is, I, am uh, I? Remember no, no, a lot of men never knocked out. Ali okay. didn't knock everybody out. Yeah, Ali was a power puncher. Yeah. But George Chevello yeah. was the first guy to go the distance with, with Muhammad Ali. But you got to remember, George Chevello mm-hmm. never got knocked down in 97 pro fights. Not he fought Frazier, Foreman, Oscar Bonavena, Floyd Patterson, Jerry Quarry. Nobody ever knocked down George Chevello. He never left his feet. Wow. Maybe the greatest chin in the history of uh, the sweet science. Do you think we'll ever have someone like Muhammad Ali? Or is do you feel there is someone like him in uh, boxing? You're, you're dreaming. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, not not. You know what? This guy was, was, was a promoter's dream. Yeah. A kid that could predict, a kid that could draw a crowd, and a kid that could fight. Not a great puncher but maybe the greatest all-around heavyweight that ever lived because of his tremendous uh, speed, and he was an athlete with it. Not just that, he had a tremendous chin. He had tremendous pride. I'm getting carried away here. You had to move your computer. Yeah. That's okay, man. That's okay. <laughs> uh, no, I, 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 you know what? There's been some great heavyweights through yeah. the years. Oh, for I, sure. I admired uh, uh, Jack Johnson I, 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 from his movies, I mean, films. Uh, of course, uh, Rocky Marciano went undefeated, but I, uh, uh, you know, Muhammad Ali, uh, George Foreman, Joe Frazier is one of my favorites of all time, too. I got to meet him. We became friends, 
and Joe Frazier was so relentless. Oh, for sure. But I remember one time I interviewed, I interviewed him many times, but one time I got ready to interview him, and just before the interview, Joe says to me, I want you to mention Allie. I said, why not, Joe? You and Allie, man, you're the greatest fights in, in the history of the game, your first and your third fight. Man, I don't want to mention, if you do, I'm going to get up and walk out. I said, you do, and I'm going to kick your ass. <laughs> he laughed. He said, I just don't want to talk about Allie. I said, okay, Joe. So we didn't talk about Allie. And that, that, I mean, but Joe Fraser without Ali, I mean, wow. I was going to ask you, is there a freezer without an Ali? Uh, you know what? I, I don't think he would have captured the imagination like he yeah. did. But, but Joe Fraser can stand on his own. That's he was true. a great champion, and he was mo one of the most relentless fighters I ever saw. Joe made your life miserable in that ring because he stayed on you. He'd get his his head on your chest, and when the referee broke you up, he'd be right back at you. But Joe, he would not allow you to rest. Wow. He wow. was something else. Now, I know I only have you for a short time. You need to leave in about 15 minutes. So I'm going to go through this quick. But I do want to ask, um, how long did you box for? And, uh, you know, how many fights did you have? I started boxing, actually, when I was about nine years old. Oh, wow. Because my father got tired of me coming home. It's the same old story you hear a yeah. lot, retold. I got My father got tired of me getting beat up. So he started to teach me how to box. And then he sent me to the gym. One day he brought home this old tabby cat. And... I don't know where he got it from. I still remember this. I'm nine, ten years old, and he had this ping pong ball, and he was, he said, "Watch how the tabby, watch this cat," and he started jabbing at the ball, and the cat would go boom, 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 hit it three times with a jab, and then smack it with the other one. He said, "That's what a boxer does," and that's the way Sugar Ray Robinson, mm. who I think is the greatest fighting machine ever produced, bar none, the way he fought, and I watched, and I became good with my left jab. But I, 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 the last fight I had, I was 36 years old, and that was in Rochester, New York, in 1977. And, uh, you know, I never turned pro, but I sparred a lot. Yeah. And uh, that was never my, my ambition to be a pro. My ambition had always been to become a radio personality. Yeah. Are you, are you still doing radio now? I'm, I'm, I'm. I walked away two years ago. Okay. I'm coming back. I, 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 I'm entertaining a couple offers. Mm -hmm. and, uh, Can we break the news here? Not yet. No, Because okay. I, I'm, I'm very much involved in my youth empowerment center. Yeah. That's the Believe to Achieve, right? Well, that's the name of the organization that yeah. my wife and I co-founded. It's a nonprofit. We co-founded it about 10 years ago. Oh, wow. But I've been working with, 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 with youth at risk since 1994, and I always wanted to have a center for them to come to because, you know, you can inspire someone. You can light the flame, mm -hmm. but the flame in the fire has to be fed and nurtured to keep it burning. Yeah. And, and a lot of these young people come in with, with, with a lot of psychological baggage. You may turn them on for a minute, but you need to stay in their head and, 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 and teach them that they have self-worth that they are worth a dream but there are ways you have to you have to you have to pursue it to bring it into reality and that's what we do at the spiders web youth empowerment center and we call it an empowerment center because we empower them with life skills and and we feed them and we feed their mind and their and you know and we nourish them 
and we have all kinds of programs over there. We're into our fifth year, and I just love it. Where where did this come from? Like, what was the impetus for wanting to set this up? I started doing prison tours a few years back for the Department of Correctional Services, and some of the inmates would say to me, God, I wish I met you when I was younger. I wish, I wish a guy like you was around. You need to help these young people. And all these gangsters want their want children to get into the same predicaments they did. It's very sad when you go into these prisons and you see these kids doing time for murder or, or drug dealing or, or all kinds of other things like that, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and I just thought, I've got, I've got to do something. You either want to or you don't. Sure. Look, I don't want to stand on the sidelines. I, want, I, need to be in, I need to be in the fight because I have the empathy. Perhaps that comes from serving time in jail, yeah. from, 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 from failing grade two and three as a young man with a learning disability who could not process information. I thought I was dumb. Everybody thought I was dumb. Nobody looked for me uh, to do anything with my life. I was just uh, a guy that... Uh, uh, would probably never, uh, 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 what is the word I'm looking for, never n- never soar to heights, never never achieve anything worth talking about. And yet I talk for a living. Yeah. And, but this, this, in order for this to happen to young people, especially kids that grow up in low-income homes or in projects, they have to believe their worth before you can follow a dream. Mm-hmm. Dreams don't just fall out of the sky. And this is what I teach young people, and we, we help them set up a game plan. It's just something that needs to be done. Somebody's got to do it. The prisons are, are, <clears throat> are full of young people. Young people of color are dropping out of school uh, and, and giving up and settling for less than what they can be. I'm not going to sit by and watch that happen. I have to do something. God tells me to do it. My spirit tells me to do it. It's a mission. But you know what? It's so gratifying. It's so gratifying. Yeah. Is there... Actually, I want to I want to get to something you also did. Um, you wrote a book, Out of the Darkness. <laughs> yeah, and I know, and you you told me on the phone once that you're you're in the process of writing a second one. Um, now, Out of the Darkness is that is that part of this whole process of impacting people? Actually, Out of the Darkness is just a, 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 a well, it, it, it was it was written because people inspired me to write it. Everywhere I went, when I shared my story, yeah or my keynote address, which is called What I've Learned from Champions of Life, people would ask me, how did you find the confidence and, and how did you, you know, how did you move from one level up, up the ladder so quickly and enjoy your success? And I said, well, because I began to believe in me. But people said, you should write a book. So I started writing a book before I, I, I was writing a book before, I started writing a book before I could even type. <laughs> and my wife and me would do it. And I'd rub, I had a rubber pencil. Yeah. I mean, a rubber, a pencil with a rubber on it. Yeah. But then I began to learn how to type. Yeah. And I finished a book, and I had somebody help me edit it a bit. It's called Out of the Darkness, and it shares an entire story of, of, of it could be me or any kid that grew up in the projects, grew up with in poverty, grew up uh, 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 with low self confidence, uh, inferior complex, and and thinking I was. I wasn't worth a big dream. And I decided that I was going to uh, write that book and hopefully get the message out to people. And you know what? I never believed that that book would sell as well as it did. It's yeah. just, uh, 
it's amazing because it's going to be a movie soon. Wow. That's amazing. I will announce that, that it's going to be my nephew who is a producer and, and hangs with some of the heavyweights. His name is Marcella. Give him a shout-out, Marcel uh, Jones. And, and uh, he's in L.A. as we speak, but he runs with some of the big producers down there. And they wanted a, a, a screenplay, so we're just finishing that off. And then my second book yeah. is set to come out later on this year. It's called The Predator Within. What's that going to be about? That's about the psychological predator that builds its lair in your mind and spreads all its toxic thoughts. Hmm. Tells you, you you're not worth it. You don't have it. It fills you full of doubt and self-loathing and pity and all these other things that keep you away from your your dream. It talks about how this 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 predator is created in a negative environment and how it it begins to build its lair in your early childhood when you're vulnerable and that's why people a lot of people lack self confidence lack the determination they don't really believe they're worth it. This book says you are and it teaches you all kinds of methods. If I can overcome it, I went to bed till I was fourteen. I failed grade three and grade four. Nobody thought I could do it. If I can do it, I believe that anyone can do it. I, I was just thinking of that as, as, you're, as you're talking to me. You know, failed grade three, grade four, grade five dropout, been in jail multiple times. I was put in a special ed class in grade five, and that uh, that uh, that was a class where they just put kids to, you know, it was like a baby's teach you how to make wooden ashtrays and leather wallets. Wow. In other words, they didn't, their expectations weren't very high, and that's how I grew just up. That's to keep why. Absolutely. So I just dropped out of school at 15. Actually, my father signed me out, and he thought I was going to get a job, but I wasn't interested in a job. By then, I was already uh, a thief and a hustler. It, it, it almost seems to me that you sort of looked in the mirror and say, you're, you're not, you're not, you weren't the person that was supposed to have a life where you box and spar with Muhammad Ali and George Chavalo and have been on some of the top radio stations in the country. And it's like, I, I need to give some of this back almost, you know, I, I need to help other people realize that, Hey, if I can, if, if I can do this, you know, that surely anyone who realizes their potential can do something. You, you know, that, that you hit the message head on. That is it. And that's what our organization believe to achieve is all about. If I can do it, you can. If a bad witten ex-con with a learning disability can can uh, can get into radio and win awards, I, I won yeah. major awards for uh, some of the programs I did: guns, gangs, and violence, and 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 and, and other things. And and the book has won a couple of awards. Uh, I mean, if I can do it, anybody can. I'm nothing special, you know. It, it's a funny thing when you think about people like Oprah Winfrey, who came from uh, uh, came from dire poverty mark Wahlberg, who another guy that i've uh, grown to admire and we've had some conversations and i've interviewed him he came from dire poverty dr benjamin carson i don't think he's the greatest politician <laughs> but he's but he's a brilliant uh, neurosurgeon he, he grew up down the, the street in detroit where i grew up his mother was single she had him when she was 14 years old these people rose from the from poverty to become successful anyone can do it if they put their mind to it there are many people that talk it and they fantasize it, but they, they're not willing to sacrifice 
to make those things happen. We are not all on the same level in terms of uh, uh, processing information. I was a little slow, mm -hmm. but I found out when I did go back to school that I would, and that was at 35 years old, that if that you went I, back. Wow. I went back because I had a great woman uh, in my wife uh, who, who, Jacqueline, or Jackie as I call her, who continued to, 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 to get on my case and she was persistent with it. You got to go back to school. You want to be in radio. You can do it. You got a gift of gab. You got a great personality. You have a knowledge of sports and politics and, and music. Why don't you use this instead of doing what you're doing, working in these, these hotels as a, as, 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 as a bouncer? And I've been stabbed. I've had guns pulled on me. Jeez. All that kind of stuff when I was, and it was just terrible. I was going into my 30s. A wife and kids and I was taking these jobs that were I was right back in the same dangerous situation I grew up in hmm. and so you know uh, uh, the best thing ever happened to me was go back to Seneca College because that's where my life turned around and I began to uh, believe I could I could do things well a lot of people would have told you it's too late I was told it's funny you bring that up I was told it was yeah. too late and people would look at me almost pitiful. You know, this guy's just dreaming again. And frankly, when I went back to school, I wasn't sure I could, I could, I would stick. I wasn't sure because I, I, I was never the kind of guy to commit myself to anything. Yeah. Boxing came easy to me. I wasn't great. I'm not suggesting, sure. but I had natural speed and height and reach. So boxing wasn't that difficult for me. But going back to school, after I knew I'd failed in academics, was a very difficult decision. But I was very, very, uh, uh, I guess I, w I was very uh, uh, fortunate to have a woman that stuck beside me. And I surrounded myself with some good friends and had a couple of wonderful teachers at Seneca College. Margaret Hauser and Doug Smith, they did so much to help me. Hmm. They believed in me. And, you know, it's funny when you've got other people that believe in oh, you. yeah. It means a lot. But I want to say this because I want to get this out. When you've got a dream and you know it's realistic and you can do it, you don't need the approval of anybody else. You don't need their permission. What you do is need your permission and your own approval. And that comes through achieving. And that's why we call it believe to achieve. When you believe you can do something, you will achieve it. And when you achieve, you will believe even more. And as I went on and began to uh, achieve, the challenges got more difficult, but I was ready for them, hmm. you know? Yeah. Which is why today I'm able to help other young people because I understand what it takes. You have to be there. You have to understand what it is to live in poverty, to live in racism, to live in, 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 in hopeless situations where everybody's bitching and complaining all the time that the man's keeping them down. That's a crutch. Yes, there is narrow-minded people out there. Yes, there is, you will fe fe face racism. And, and unless you're black or brown, yeah. you don't understand it as well as I do. I see sure. it every day. I see it in the media. I was the first black guy to go coast to coast in this country. I faced racism every day. Sure. And, and you know what? From people that denied they were racist, but it was systemic. They didn't even know it. Yeah. It's still like that. In radio sure. today, there are very few people very of color i gotta tell you there are very few you've seen a bunch of right-wing dudes who've never dealt with crime 
Mm-hmm. They've never dealt with poverty. They've never dealt with police brutality. They've never dealt with hopelessness, and yet they got all the answers, and that's kind of sad. Yeah. Because they're not, they don't have their journalistic integrity, and they don't have all that knowledge they pretend to have. They're generally angry right-wing guys. I look forward to you coming back to radio, Spider. Well, you know, I made a lot of enemies. They said I was placing, I was playing the race card. It's not the race card; it's the reality card. It is what it is. Yeah. Things have got better, but we got a long way to go. For sure. Listen, we're we're out of time. I know you've got an event. I want to stay. I'm enjoying this. I would love for you to stay. I would love for you. I come back again sometime. I I would love that. But listen, finish it off. Tell people how they could learn more about your organization and what you're doing. Okay. Yeah. It's it's called Believe to Achieve, and we have a wonderful group of uh, a team of people that work to to enhance the lives of youth at risk of all colors, all religions. We have our youth center at uh, 160 Chalk Farm. You can get in touch with me, uh, Spider Jones at rogers.com, or you can go on my website, uh, ca or www.spiderjones.com. Awesome. Spider, thank you so much. It is my pleasure. Time. 